Thanks so much for joining us today for our last installment in our One Kingdom series where we've been exploring how the kingdom of Jesus, the church of Jesus, relates to the kingdoms of this world. If you've missed any of the series, go on back online, watch or listen to the different installments. We've covered a lot of ground. We started at Genesis chapter 1, talking about God's vision to fill the world with worshipers and yet the problem of sin and the need for a posture of humility as we pursue this vision that God has given us. We've talked about the way that God has made us into a people unto himself and given us a different ethic, a different set of rules and guidelines. He's made us distinct among the kingdoms of this world. We've talked about our identity as God's people and how that relates to our identity as Americans or citizens of the earthly kingdoms that surround us. And last week, we went to week five of the series and we talked about the relationship that the church should have and the Christians of the church should have with the governing agencies of this world. And so in this political season, in this election year, it's been amazing to really wrestle with what it means to be God's people and God's people alone in a world that's filled with so many other kingdoms. Today we close our series in the book of Acts chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at a little section of scripture as we explore the final topic in this series. Namely, what is the relationship of the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, in changing the world that exists outside of our doors? And the reason I want to close with this topic is that in my experience as a pastor, I've talked to a lot of people in the church, Christian people, who seem to believe that there is no real hope that we will ever have any level of impact on the world outside of our doors, as sad as that is. I got a phone call from a woman several months ago when, when our country was in unrest with a lot of talks of racial inequality and social justice issues. And remember there were protests this summer and a lot of response to the George Floyd killing. And it was, it was an insane season. And my phone rang and this, this woman wanted to talk to me because she was so distressed about all that was going on. She saw that so many of her friends were really wanting to get active in in changing the world and active in participating and bringing justice. And she just felt like this was not a battle worth fighting. She said, Pastor, I I feel like I want to tell my friends that the world is not going to change, that this place is just going to get worse and worse until Jesus comes back. And they're wasting their time trying to fix the systems of this world because we know that it's all going to fall apart and then Jesus is going to come back and fix it somehow. Day. And so she had this heartache for her friends that were trying to be actively involved in changing the world because she felt like it was a fruitless endeavor. Now, I know if you've been at church for a long time, you've heard different anecdotes, right? Jesus says things like, the poor will be with us always. And you probably met people who said, that's why the church shouldn't care for the poor because Jesus says, you're not going to affect it, right? And yet we know There's something terribly wrong about that sentiment that God has placed us in the world on purpose because he wants to use us to change the systems of this world. The truth is, even for those of us who would disagree with the sentiment of the woman who called me on the phone or disagree with the sentiment that we should not get involved, I think a lot of us as we live life and navigate life in this world really feel like change is is a hopeless fight. 
know, it's funny, in this series, the thing that we talked about that got the most emails, the most press, the most people talking to me about was one sermon I talked about all the people who want to move to Idaho. I don't know why, but I got a ton of emails and comments from people saying, that's me, I want to leave, I feel like it's time to leave the Bay. And one of the sentiments that came out as I talked to folks about that is I said, you know what, I feel like I've spent my whole life in this place, I wanted to get better, I pray that God would change it, but it's not changing, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And they're revealing in that conversation, that same attitude almost as that woman on the phone, that you know what, as much as the church tries, this place is hopeless. We got to get out of here. I know some of us don't have that level of kind of a escapist mentality wanting to move out of here, but some of us have a more passive mentality. We feel like, you know what, change is in God's hands. He does what he wants, and so I'm just going to live quietly in my life. I'll pray, but Nothing really ever changes, right? You might be on the opposite. Say, no, I'm more of the activist. I'm going to work and I'm going to work and I'm going to work for the change I want to see in the world. But at the same time, you find yourself frustrated so often because it feels like all of the work that you've put into changing the world is not accomplishing anything. As we close our series today, and as we look at this passage, I want to remind all of us of a very important truth. And we'll put it up on the screen for you so we can kind of look at it together. This is true, and I want to blaze this into your mind. God will use his people to transform the world. And if you were with us in our sanctuary, I'd say, say it again with me. God will use his people to transform the world. We see that throughout the scriptures. He has a plan. Right, Acts chapter 1, many of you have studied this passage before. We're going to study it today. God is going to change the world through these 12 apostles. He's saying, uh, the Spirit's going to come and you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. The globe will change because of my work. We look at the book of Revelation and we see people from every tongue and tribe and nation who are part of God's kingdom, one kingdom in heaven. And God has used his church by the end to change eternity. It is true that God will use his people to transform transform the world. And yet for those of us who struggle with this concept, the the question we're going to wrestle with today is, is how? How is God going to use his people to transform the world? Because a lot of us have tried a lot of ways to transform our families, to transform our lives, to transform our communities, and it feels like it's not working. You know, if you're a Christian person, you probably are thinking the Sunday school answer. The way that God's going to use his people to transform the world, you're thinking it's the gospel, right? And that is absolutely true, right? That is what's going to change everything. The, the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for new life found in the resurrection, that is going to change everything. The gospel is the answer. And yet at the same time, in the passage we look at today, we see that the gospel in a sense has happened. Jesus has already died. Jesus has already risen, and yet before he commissions the 12 apostles to go out and change the world, he pauses to equip them with a mentality that will help them in their endeavor. And so today, if if you're someone who is wondering the relationship between the church and the mission that God has given us in the world, or you feel like change is fruitless, or you're ready to move out of town, or you've given up hope, or you want to stop trying, let me encourage you today. We're going to look at two lessons from Acts chapter 1 of what Jesus is trying to equip his disciples with as they step foot into this mission, this world-changing eternal mission that he has for his people. So you can turn to Acts chapter 1, and we are going to see, start right here in verse 4. We're going to read today verses 4 through verse 7. 
You know, if you want to take notes today, you are welcome to take notes. It's the last one in the series, so get as much as you can before we're done. First thing you would write down here is this. Before we can learn to go, we have to learn to wait. That's not actually what it says on the screen. Let me read it for real. Before we can go, we must learn to wait. That's the first principle I see here in Acts chapter 1. And when I was reading this text, I was thinking a lot about our new dog. I told you a few weeks ago, we got a puppy during covid I would say bad idea, but we love her so much, and so good idea. Uh, but one thing that we learned about having a puppy that we didn't really remember from when we were kids is puppies just love to go, right? If you've ever had a puppy before, you open the front door and boom, they're gone. You pull out the leash and boom, they're ready. You open their food bag and boom, they want to eat. The puppy's always running, running, running to jump on people, to take off, to do her thing. She just wants to go. And so one of the first things that we had to teach our dog was that before she could go, she has to learn how to wait, right? Whether that means, hey, before you're allowed to eat your food, you have to sit and stay and get some self-control here because I know all you want to do is go after this thing, but you got to learn to wait, right? If we're going to open the front door, you got to learn to wait, right? I'm going to go out the front door first. If we're going to go on a walk, you got to wait. We're going to put on your leash before you go. Dogs are very similar to humans in that way where there's something in us that just wants to go. Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're ready and raring to go, right? They're, they're starting to think, you can see at, at this point in the text, uh, they're asking him questions like, Jesus, are you ready to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're ready to go. They want to change the world. They want to see the resurrected Jesus in power, transform everything. They just want to go. And yet Jesus says, before you go, you got to learn to wait. And these are the words that he shares to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised. Wait. Before you go, wait. As I was studying this text this week, I was wrestling with a question that I never thought about before, which is, why did Jesus set it up this way? Jesus could have done it anyway, right? He had already died. He had already risen. He was about to ascend to his heavenly throne. He could have told the disciples, hey, I'm about to go to my throne. Just so you know, I gave you something called the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you and he's the power you need. Now I'm going to go, go have fun, go change the world. But he doesn't do it that way. Jesus says, I'm going to leave. And then I want you to wait for an extended period of time. Then the spirit's going to come and then you can go. He inserts this season of waiting for the disciples before he allows them to go. It's almost like he's training them, like I'm training my dog to say, wait, wait, don't eat yet. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, now go. I wonder, why is Jesus doing that? You know, on one hand, it's never a good idea to guess why God is doing anything. And so it's not a good Bible study method to just guess. But, but also at the same time, it's, it's kind of sometimes a really helpful exercise to let your mind kind of wrestle with what could be some of the reasons that Jesus would have a methodology like this with his disciples from the scriptures. Right? So as I was thinking a little bit about the different reasons that Jesus could be asking his disciples to wait, I remembered some truths about ministry from the scriptures that I think, I don't know if this is why Jesus told them to wait, but, but are true regardless, and I think could be a good reason of what Jesus was trying to teach them along the way. And I'll share those ideas with you. The first thing that I was thinking, uh, one of the reasons Jesus might have called his disciples to wait is because the truth is the mission of God cannot be accomplished without the spirit of God. Maybe one of the things that Jesus was doing for his disciples is telling them, you know, I've got a mission for you 
And one of the most important things that you need to understand before you start it is that the Spirit of God is absolutely critical to the accomplishment of this mission. So critical that I'm going to make you sit still and wait until he shows up just as a tangible physical reminder that you're not allowed or able to do ministry, to accomplish my mission, to change the world without him. The mission of God cannot be accomplished without the Spirit of God. I think there's something in us that, that always forgets that. We, we always talk about that. That man, I feel like so often I, I forget that I need God to do God's work. We always find ourselves doing God's work on our own. And that's the second thing that I thought as I was reading this text is that first, the mission of God cannot be accomplished without the Spirit of God. But second, human beings love to serve God without God. Right? That's part of the condition of the human heart. We love to serve God without God. Have you ever had a season in your life where you got so excited about something God had placed on your heart that you just ran after it? And then like after a day or a week or a month, you were exhausted and realized that you had a good idea from God and then almost like left him in the dust and ran to do it without him? That's part of the human condition. There's something in us that's wired to go even if we don't have the directions yet or even if we don't have the power yet or even if God is not with us yet. We just want to go because we're so excited excited to go like the puppy running out the front door. And I've seen this not just in dogs. I've seen this in humans, right? I've got kids at home and sometimes my kids just love to go even though they have no idea where we're going. And I'm always trying to say, don't go without me. How is that even possible? Where do you think you're going? And every once in a while, we'll be at the mall or we'll be at the park or we'll be going on a walk and my kids will be trying to run off ahead, run off ahead down the hike, down the trail. And I and I just get a little irritated and I finally just stop and I say, yeah, yeah, just go ahead, do your thing. And the kids get like 15 seconds down the road and they come back and they say, wait, where are we going? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm telling you to follow me because you have no idea where you're going. You can't get there without me. Only I know the directions. So stay behind me or stay with me. And now we're going to go. There's something in us that just loves to run ahead of God, that loves the idea of getting God's mission done. And part of what frustrates us a little bit, sometimes we feel like God moves a lot slower than we do. I wonder if this is one of the reasons that Jesus tells these disciples, hey, before you go, I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem and pray and ask God what, what his uh, vision might be for your community. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit shows up, and you'll know it when you see it. I want you to wait in Jerusalem, and I'll give you the mission now, but it'll make more sense to you later. I want you to wait. I want you to wait, because this Spirit that I'm sending you is so critical, and you're so tempted to move forward without him. And if you're in a season right now where you just feel like, man, you just want to go, but you feel like you're not having fruit, or you feel like you're giving up because God's not doing anything, he's not moving fast enough for you, I, I just want to encourage you to reset your odometer or your speedometer or whatever it is that needs to be reset in your life and wait and say, you know what, God, I, I don't want to move without you. I don't want to run down this path unless you walk with me. I, I don't, I don't want to start this new endeavor unless you're going to take this endeavor with me. I need your spirit. If anything's going to work, maybe, God, the reason I'm hitting my head against a wall is because you're not with me. So, God, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to wait for you. And then let's go together. 
God wants to use his people to change the world, but, but he wants to use his people to change the world with him, not for him, not ahead of him, not down the road, with him, stepping in step with the spirit of God. I was telling our, our prayer team last Sunday night at our house of prayer meeting that one thing that's been a, a, a blessing in the COVID-19 season that I did not anticipate at all was that for us as a church, for me as a pastor, for me as a person and as a Christian, this has been a season where it's almost like God made me do exactly what he makes the disciples do and say, okay, for a long season, I'm going to have you wait. You're going to shelter in your house, shelter in place in your house and you're going to wait. You're going to have this church ministry and you have all these great ideas, but you're going to have to wait because of the government orders. You're going to have this disease that's spreading. So all the things you want to do this summer, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. And at first, the waiting game was so weighty and discouraging and heavy. Now, I remember back in April, May, when we realized, okay, there's not going to be Easter at church. We're probably not going to be back in the sanctuary till August with a thousand people, which by the way, has already come and gone, right? We thought, oh, it's going to be a long way off all summer. We said, you know what? Let's just start working now on a great strategy of what we're going to do in the fall, right? And so I spent weeks back in May. I built a strategy for the church. Here's what we're going to do coming out of COVID. And I built this thing. I wrote it all down. I put it on my desk and it's been collecting dust since the middle of May because we've had to wait. And yet as we've waited, and as I've waited, I've realized that in my waiting, God has shown up in so many ways. And and the biggest thing that God has reminded me is exactly what Jesus is telling the disciples in this passage. He said, Danny, when it's time to go, right? Maybe this is the right plan. Maybe it's not that you got collecting dust on your desk here. But when it's time to go, We're going to go together. Why why don't you wait for the spirit to catch up with your ideas? Why don't you wait for God's, God's timing to catch up with God's mission? Why don't you wait until I say go and then let's move forward together? And for me, these last several weeks, as I've realized that and looked at texts like these, it's been so freeing to realize that God, all that God calls us to do as people is, is to keep in step with his spirit, to walk through life one step at a time. And a lot of times that just means waiting for God. And waiting for God is a really freeing concept until you do it for a long time, right? So there's a chance that you're out there today and you're watching this, you're thinking, yeah, wait, waiting is my middle name. I've been waiting for God for years. I've been praying for the same thing for a long, long time and he's never coming. I'm so passionate about changing the world and I'm working and I'm working and I'm working and I'm just waiting for God to make a change and he hasn't done it yet. I've been waiting for people in my family to come to know Jesus and nothing's happening. I've been waiting for opportunities to share the gospel with my coworker and nothing's happening. I've been waiting for my neighbor to change. I've been waiting for the Bay Area to get better. I've been waiting for a sign that I'm supposed to live in the Bay, but I'm done waiting. I want to get out of here. I just don't know what to do because I've been waiting, but I feel like God's never coming. I think one of the things that's really hard about waiting for God is that if God takes a long time in coming, sometimes it feels like he's not showing up. And when we get to the point in life when it feels like God's not showing up, we start doubting whether he was ever there in the first place or not. We start wondering, was I kidding myself when I said I was following Jesus? Was I kidding myself when I said I believed? Was I hallucinating last time I thought God was real because I've been waiting so long? It's almost like he's forgotten about me. 
you know, if that's you, you are, you are not alone. That is a condition that, that humans experience all the time, right? One of the most common prayers of the Old Testament is, how long, O oh Lord, how long will you make us wait? And if you've been waiting for God to do something and you are languishing in place while you wait, let me encourage you with something that I see in this text that, that might equip you a little bit with a worldview of, of why God asks his people to wait. As I look at, at Jesus' conversation with these disciples, the, the principle that I notice, we'll put on the screen here, is that sometimes God needs us to wait because he needs to change us before he can change the world through us. Sometimes God asks you to wait because there's a change in you that he's trying to do before he's going to use you to change the world. And sometimes the reason there's a pause on the plans that God has for you is there's a lesson for you that he's teaching, either in the waiting or that he's trying to teach you before he can activate you towards what's next. And where I see that in this text is that after Jesus tells them to wait, you know, we, as people who understand what's happening, we're like, oh, this is awesome. We know the vision. The gospel's going to go out to all the earth. It's going to be great. They're going to wait, and then it's going to explode onto the scene. But when the disciples respond to Jesus telling them to wait, the disciples indicate with their words that they actually don't really understand the plan of Jesus. It says that after Jesus says, don't leave, but wait for the spirit, it says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> the answer to that question is no. Like that's, that's not what's happening, right? The, we get this, this view from the disciples in this moment that the vision they think that Jesus is pouring out is that after the spirit comes, he's going to step onto his throne in Jerusalem and he's going to reign. The Israelite people are going to be a people again. Like we talked about two weeks ago, the rule and reign will happen from Israel and God will make his people his people. But we know reading this text, that's not Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan was not simply to restore the kingdom to Israel. Jesus' plan is what he says right after that. It says, it's not for you to know the dates or the times that the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, I know you think one thing's going to happen, but when my Spirit empowers you, I'm actually going to use you to do something that you are not anticipating that is totally different. I'm going to use you to do something else. As you read through the book of Acts, you, you start to see that this vision that Jesus has of taking the gospel, the kingdom, to the ends of the earth is a kingdom that most people cannot process who are Jewish Christians at that time. It is foreign to them. It is outside of their worldview. They do not understand the idea of non-Jewish people coming to Christ. There's a lot of work that Jesus has to do to change them so that they can participate in his vision for their lives. And part of the reason that the spirit is necessary is because Jesus is trying to change them as he uses them to change the world. Right, the, the key thing that I see in this passage is we talk about how the relationship of the kingdom of God relates to changing the kingdoms of this world is that God wants to transform us as he uses us to transform the world. Now, that, that might be a sentence that doesn't make a lot of sense. So let's let you read it again. God wants to transform us as he uses us to transform the world. What I mean by that is what any of you have ever experienced who's gone on a short-term mission trip. 
I feel like this is the script. It happens every time. You, you feel compelled to go to Mexico on a short-term missions trip or go to a Native American reservation on a short-term missions trip or go to inner city on a short-term missions trip. And then you come back and you say the same thing every time. You say, it's unbelievable. I thought that God was using me to go and help these people, but now I know that God was actually sending me there to change me when I went, right? And you realize, wow, I thought I was going to be used to transform others. But really the plan of God was that I would be transformed by this trip. And that is true, but it's only partially true. Because the whole truth is that God did two things. One, he transformed you. And two, he helped transform a community that you stepped into. Those things always work together. God is transforming us as he's using us to transform the world. And we see this as we read the book of Acts. We're actually going to do a series right after this one on all of the the stumbling blocks that the church faces as God is forming them into his people, all the drama that exists in the early church, because there's a ton of problems along the way. And we see that the mission of God in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you're going to take the gospel to the ends of earth, it's happening. But as it's happening, God is forming his people into his people. In order to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, God's people have to learn to include folks of other races. And so he does that to his people. In order to take the gospel to the Gentiles, God's people have to learn to accept folks that they would have never accepted. And he does that in them. In order for God's people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, they have to leave their comfort zone. They have to be willing to endure suffering. There's all these things in the character and mindset and theology of God's people that have to happen for them to carry out the mission of of God. And we see two things working in tandem as God's people follow God's spirit on God's mission. The first thing is that God is using his people to change the world. And the second thing that is God is changing his people as he's using them to change the world. And that is true whether you're living in first century Israel or you're living in the Bay Area today. God is just as concerned with your growth as he is with the work that he wants to do in your neighbor. God is just, concer- just as concerned with your theology as he is with the soul of the person who lives next door. He's just as concerned with your heart as he is at the heart of the person he's putting on your heart to change. God is trying to change us into his people through our service. And through our service, he's changing the world through us. I've had a lot of conversations lately with folks in our church who are volunteering in our Cross Streets ministry, who, uh, which serves folks who are unsheltered in our community or who are dis- disadvantaged financially or can't afford meals. We've got people coming up and uh, we're feeding folks and giving them food and all that. And one of the themes that I've noticed with folks who serve in the Cross Streets ministry is a transformation in their own spirit that they talk about as they stepped in to serve. And they say, Danny, I, I stepped into that place and I just wanted to help people who uh, were poor or help people who were homeless or help people who fit in this box of mine. And as I started working, I started realizing that my whole mindset was wrong, that these people are not other than me. These are our people. These are folks who are part of our community. This is our family. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's kind of changed my mentality of what the church is as I've served those who are in need in our community. And then they say, and it's so hard for me because I see all these new people from the church coming in to serve. 
and they're just like I used to be. They're coming just trying to give a handout. They're all prideful about the fact that they're helping the disenfranchised. They're treating the unsheltered people as if they're second-class citizens. And I'm thinking on one hand, I used to be like that. And on the other hand, how come they don't get it yet? Why can't they see what I see? The truth is, what happened to those folks who served for a while and stepped into the mission of God alongside the Spirit of God is that God changed them as he used them to change others. Now, as we talk about this concept of being the kingdom of Jesus within the kingdoms of this world, we see that God is equally concerned with forming us into his people, as we talked about the first half of the series, as he is concerned about using us as his people to transform the world outside of our doors. And so I don't know where you stand today with waiting on the Lord, with being angstful about the things that are not changing in this world, but I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, trust that God's Spirit is working and wants to be working in whatever context you're in. You know, if you're someone who feels like it's time to get out of the bay, you want to move, you feel like God is not moving, things are not changing, you're sick of this place, let me challenge you for a minute. Maybe God has you here in this angst because he wants to change your heart about the bay, not change your geographical location. Right? If you're someone who is feeling discouraged because you've been praying and praying and praying and hoping that someone would change and they're not changing, let me encourage you to do some soul searching because maybe what God is trying to do beyond changing them is God's got something he wants to teach you. Maybe there's something that you need to humble yourself and walk across the aisle and talk to somebody. Maybe you need to forgive that person and go and reconcile with them. Maybe you need to stop waiting for them and you need to move. Maybe you need to stop trying to move and you need to wait. Maybe God's primary message in this season that he's not acting in the way you want him to is a message he has for you, not for them. So go to the Lord and say, God, what is it? Search my heart. Try me. Is there anything in me that you're trying to transform while I wait? (laughs) Sometimes there is. Sometimes they're not. We know, like the book of James says, that we should consider it joy when we face trials because the testing of our faith produces endurance. And we must let endurance finish its work so that we may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So let's be people who wait patiently. Let's be people who keep in step with the Spirit. Let's be people who wait on Him and don't move without Him. And let's be people who don't sit on our bottoms and not run when He tells us to run. Let's do what He tells us to do. And let's walk with the Spirit of God as He transforms us as individuals, as He transforms us as a people, and as, as He uses us as His people to change the world in which He's placed us. Now, the truth is that God is going to fill the world with his glory. Someday, people from every tongue and tribe and nation will sit at the feet of Jesus and permeate planet Earth, cover this globe with worshipers of his. And it is true that it's not just going to get better and better and someday, boom, the kingdom is here. At some point, he's coming back and he's going to fix what is wrong. But in the meantime, let's seek him. Let's humble ourselves. Let's live as his people. Let's live out a Christian ethic. Let's live as humble, submissive people in the kingdom in which we find ourselves. Let's find our citizenship in heaven, not on earth, not in this country. Let's submit to our governing authorities and let's live on mission as his people, being transformed into his image as we partner with him to transform the world. Let me pray for us as we close this series and then we're going to move into some worship. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we wait. 
I pray for anyone who's listening today who just feels like change is not coming, and we pray that you would meet them even in their waiting. We know that it's difficult to wait on you, and yet sometimes it's a spiritual exercise to create tenacity in us. Sometimes you have us wait because you're working in us. Sometimes there are things you need to fix in us while we wait. Sometimes you want us to get moving and stop waiting. We pray more than anything else that we would be individuals and a church that is sensitive to your spirit, and we don't just wait for the sake of waiting, but we move when he tells us to move. We know the Spirit is here. We don't have to wait for him anymore. He is with us. And so let us listen to his voice day by day and move in step with his promptings. And we pray that as we do that, that you would transform us as a people into your image and that you would use us as your people to change the world in which you've placed us. I pray for anyone who who needs to partner with him for the first time, that you would give them the grace to turn their lives over to you who don't have the spirit inside of them, that they would say, God, I need you. I need your spirit to change the the state of my soul. I need the resurrection power of Jesus to give me life. I need the death of Jesus to forgive my sins. I need something new here, God. I pray that for anyone who is in that boat, that they would call out to you and that they would find you because you tell us you are not far from any one of us. And as they turn to you, that you would place your spirit in them. You'd place a new heart in them, and that they begin to learn how to walk in partnership with you as you change them and as you change the world through them. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for watching. Hopefully, you were encouraged by what you saw today. My name is Danny. I'm the pastor at Three Crosses. And just want to encourage you, if you're looking to connect more, you can check out our website, threecrosses.org. We stream our services every Sunday. You can jump in on that. Or if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, come and find us. We'd love to connect with you. Before you go today, hit the subscribe button. Keep up to date with what's going on week after week. We'd love to stay connected. Have a great one.